0: Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. All right. Let's pray and then let's chatter. Uh, For Sunday and Epiphany in the good old days was the Lord of Nature. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Romans eight nineteen. Almighty God, who set your Son over the works of your hands, so that even the winds and the sea must obey him, we pray, give power to your Word that your kingdom may grow and increase and all creation be delivered into the glorious liberty of your children. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, welcome back. Thanks. Um, Mike, turn me down just a little bit. I feel like I'm yelling a little bit here, and that's never good. Uh, How's that? Uh, First thing, let's... um, I'll be Tom Sawyer, and you'll paint the fence. Let's play like that first. Uh, Tomorrow at 7 a.m., I have to... uh, I have to turn in the questions uh, for the frequently asked questions. You know, we put out an FAQ for any capital campaign. So here's what I want you to do. Quickly, you have three minutes. Get a little piece of paper and a pencil. There's one in the corner if you need one. Find something, write something, if you want. Um, While I hand these out, I tell you what. It's very difficult for us to guess what are the questions that you want to know. We try to answer every question we can. But if you have a question that you want included or answered in that uh, frequently asked questions thing that'll come out sometime in the next few months of the capital campaign, could you take a moment right now and jot it down? Could you do that for me while I hand stuff out? Okay, one, two, three, go. And um, there are, you know, there are things at the end of the pews if you if you need a little paper, or I can hand you this and. Uh, You can see what can happen next. Want to help me? Thanks, David. You're a good guy. There you go. Uh, Let's see. What else have I got for you? (coughs) Well, after you're doing that, hey, can you help me? If you go left, David will go right. That'll be fantastic. Thank you. Uh, you might spin your Bibles open to First uh, Corinthians. We're actually going to work on the epistle that was the text for last. Uh, that was the epistle for last week, and you should be putting all that together. So, if there's something you want answered uh, in the FAQs, please get it to me. Put it into my hand before you go today. So now just a little bit of review. You know, we haven't been together for more than a month, and it's always uh, difficult to keep going, but just a little bit of review. So here's the question. How How best do we go forward? How best do we go forward as one community? And you remember, we've been working with this definition of best from Philippians is what is loving and mature, deeply mature, and thoroughly obedient. So we said to ourselves, you know, what, you know, this is all spurred long ago by this question. I I just, it just kept coming up of, if Jesus walked in the door today, would he recognize us? It's just just a very simple question. But if Jesus walked in the door today, would he recognize us as his church? Are we getting done what the Lord wanted us to get done? Are we the people he wants us to be? So, uh, another way to set that is, do, are we doing our best? And, um, you know, how, how are we doing together as a community, rejoicing and praying and thinking and trying to figure out what it is that we should do? And you, you know that we are free in some things. We're, you know, there's some things we're not free to do. We're not free to hoist ourselves up to God. But in the church, there's some things we are free to do. We can shape the reality that lies before us. You know, it very much depends on our uh, thoroughness and eagerness and attitude and kindness. It very much depends. Churches can make themselves what they want to be in some ways. They can be faithful or they can be unfaithful. They can be um, interested in others or not at all, okay? So, and as we shape that reality, uh, I've tried to urge you then to think about we rather than I. Um, this is a strange, you know, this Capital Camp thing is, is such a good experience in so many ways. You know, we call people and ask them to volunteer. Many, many people say yes. Um, and then there are some people who say, well, no, we're not, we're not really on board with that, so we won't be doing anything. Which I've come to think is probably an impossible answer. In your family... Um, or when you grew up with your brothers and sisters. Um, how does it work for your family when you say, uh, okay, that was a great dinner, um, let's clear the dishes, put things back in the refrigerator, and you know, sort of mop things up, and everybody stands up, and, and you know, one person goes to the dishwasher, another person goes to the refrigerator, another person goes to the thing, sink, and then one person um, goes to watch TV. How does that work in your family? Make everybody happy? Everybody feel good about that, you know? Say. And then, how do you feel when they reappear at the next meal and do it again? And they reappear at the next meal and do it again. So, are they on board or are they not on board? Well, they're on board with some things like eating, right? And heat and toilet paper and, uh, you know. But... So it's, it's, it's very odd for me. I guess I, guess I want to I lead by saying nobody has a choice whether they want to be on board. If you're going to come back and sit down, you're on board. If you're going to park here, you're on board. If you ever call a pastor, you're on board. If you put your kid in the school, you're on board. If you send them to Sunday school, you're on board. If you come in this building and breathe, you're on board. It is we, not I. You don't have a choice. That's what the church is. That's what we is rather than I. I'm not on board is an impossible statement to make unless the church is doing something unfaithful. Okay? So I I, I really, you know, I'll put it in that stark of terms just to get you going, but I'm always stunned by that. I'm always stunned when people say, you know, we're not on board. You know, we thought, we talked, we voted, we have governance, we establish things, we all get it together. Nobody gets their way. We join together, decide what we want to do. Your choice isn't isn't whether you're on board or not, your choice is whether you're a member or not. Because if you're a member here, you're on board. And it doesn't work in it. You go to work during the day, if you go to work during the day, and, um, you know, let's say you have a project due. My favorite commercial right now is the one where the guy says... uh, you know, uh, you. Uh, he says, you, you keep, I wish I could remember it all, but it's like, uh, you, what is it? Keep yeah, keep feeding me bad information. He says, you keep being paranoid. No problem. Keep not living up to your skills. You, you know what's what I'm talking about? That's my favorite commercial on TV. And they says, I'm going to Kinko's to get it done. Uh, that, that's the best commercial. I mean, I laugh every time I see that because I think it's so true. Yeah, keep feeding me bad information. That's great. I, I just, it's just like so, so good, you know. I mean, it's like. Is that what we do? You know, you know, keep being not on board. Keep, uh, keep parking in a space, but you know, don't think about anybody else parking in a space. Keep, you know, keep absorbing resources, but never give any resources. Come on. You don't have that option. That's all I thinking. I'm not on board. I'm not anything is impossible unless you are the prophetic voice that holds up the scriptures and says, you're all out of whack with what the scriptures say, which we're always happy to listen to. I just give you a real practical example from my own life about we versus i first um, corinthians six nineteen you 're not your own you 're bought with a price glorify God with your body tangible glorification right or matthew twenty uh, nine twenty two nine i didn 't give you love your neighbor as yourself, but that would be one so there 's no difference you 're always in relationship and always treat your neighbor just like whatever you want your neighbor gets whatever your neighbor gets you get or twenty two nine um, Is Use your talents well, I think. So I just, I just, we begin by saying it's we, not I. If nobody here ever started a sentence again with I for the next five years, we'd be a better place for it. You know, what is it that we're doing? And so then, you know, the very practical question is, what is it that we're doing together in this place? And you have to ask yourself, if Jesus were here, what would he be doing? And part of the answer is, if Jesus were here, what he would be doing is celebrating the sacrament and preaching to us that he was the fulfillment of all scripture. And he'd be tangibly feeding and healing and caring for people. But if he had to choose, he would fall back to preaching and delivering the sacrament. There's all sorts of people who can heal you. There's all sorts of people who can do miracles. You know, there's all sorts of people like that. The big news about Jesus is that he delivers his word and sacrament, and then he'll also heal you too. He's good for your legs, good for your ears, good for your bad heart. Yeah. So what would Jesus be doing? He'd be given word and sacrament. Now, if Jesus were here, what would we be doing? And that is the great freedom of the church, that we all together say, what do we want to do? You know, there was a time, for example, when we said, "Whoa, we got a load of people, uh, you know, in the, of of school age on the waiting list. And one of the things we did is, without regard to cost, we staffed up and had double grades. It's a great idea. We ran kind of the pig through the python for a couple of years, right? This is a very practical, strategic thing that we did because we thought it would be good for us and for all of our community. Okay. So you need to separate in all this thinking of what we do, what is principle, the non-negotiable thing. That's word and sacrament faithfully delivered. And strategy, how in this time in this place with this group of people and these resources and all your attitudes and all your thoughts and all your feelings and all your families and all the things pushing and pulling on you and against that your ability to be calm and think clearly, even though the world is a world, what is it that we together should do? And I just can't emphasize it to you enough that I'm not part of it is not an option. We were created for relationship. Man was created for relationship with God. And when God looked at Adam alone, he said, this isn't good. You remember creation? He looked at creation and said, this is very good at the end. But it wasn't good until everybody was in a relationship. You are not your own. You're oriented always to God and your neighbor. And I'll give you the punchline now. It is impossible for you to develop as an individual completely. It is impossible for you to be what the Lord seeks for you to be, outside community. It is impossible. And further, individuals do not make community. Community makes individuals. You cannot make yourself all that God intends in isolation. You cannot. Because you weren't created that way. Your heart yearns for relationship with God and with other people. Just the, 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 the number of religions in the world, you know, is just is, is natural proof that we're irrevocably religious. You know, we, we just want to be in relationship with God. And frankly... Um, Our need for love, our need for care, our need for talk, even our need for beauty are all proofs that we need to be in relationship with other people. You will not find your whole self, you'll not find what you're meant to be in isolation. You will not find it as an individual. And a group of individuals do not make a community. That's occasionally we have people say the silliest thing about the Holy Supper. Well, we'll all go to the Holy Supper together and then we'll be a community. This is, this is absolute backward nonsense if you read your scriptures. The scriptures say you go to the supper and God makes you a community. Individuals don't make the supper. The supper makes individuals. It makes them into a community. Community is a divine gift to be cherished. And, uh, you know, once you're baptized, you're in. Once you're suppered, you're in. Once you're absolved, you're in. Once you pray together, you're in. It's our Father, plural. Our daily bread, plural. Right? our everything together. That's what it means to be one. That's what it means to be body. That's what it means to be congregation. That's what it means to be church. And anything less is really unrecognizable to Christ. Um, I just, you know, I, don't, I don't know how to say it except just to push you through and we'll read it from the text here in a moment. Now, um, why bother? Well, for one thing, Jesus just asks us to do it. Okay? That's just what Jesus wants. He says, you know, you're my body. That's what he says to us. You're my ecclesia, my called out people. You're my church. You're my disciples, plural, right? And it is a matter of life and death. You, You wither up and die on your own. And none of you, and not I either, we are not saved without the gift of someone else. No, without the gift of God, and without the gift of God mediated to us through those who gave us the gospel. The other side of that coin is that what we're meant to do is explode in thankfulness from the Eucharist, uh, which means thanksgiving. You know, Eucharistia is gratitude, thanksgiving, rejoicing, tied to the word um, charis for grace. All the gift words, it's very interesting in scripture, All the the gift words and the thanksgiving words have the same root. They're all tied together. It's this giving-receiving, having and being thankful. You can't sort of separate those things. You know, just like you can't separate individuals from community. You're born into community. You're born not of yourself, not of your choice. Uh, You know, you didn't appear out of thin air. You're born from two other people. And you're born into a family. And in the church, you're, born, you're reborn into a community. That's who you are. So it is impossible to assert your own will. I want this, I want that. This is what I'm going to do. I'm in, I'm out." I think I told you, my favorite story, elder for, ever from an elder is, you know, the guy who's committing adultery. He says, "Don't bother me to the elders. Don't bother me. I'm not in the church anymore." And the elder says, "We tell you when you're in, and we tell you when you're out." <laughs> you know what? We tell you, we tell you when you're in. The end of the baptismal formula, what do we do? We welcome you into the Lord's family. That's what we do. The pastor has just acted on behalf of Christ and the community, and then everybody says, we welcome you, you're part of us. And at Excommunication, we say, we don't welcome you anymore, but we wish you'd come back in. But any place in between, you're in, and that's it. And yes, things are discussed, and yes, there's push and pull. I mean... You know, if you don't think there's push and pull and discussion in this kind of, you know, congregation, you just, gotta, you just gotta come to one meeting. You know, you just gotta come to a meeting sometime. You know, it's, it's remarkable stuff. All right? So, and then I tried to press you on why such a thing would happen. I'm trying to press you toward a Christological basis for all this. One is that Christ is present. Bodily, sacramentally, tangibly present. I mean, if you don't think there's a tangible payoff in Scripture, then you don't know about the cross. Because the cross is the tangible payoff. In flesh and blood, that's the way he chooses to save us. So, one, of course, he's here. The word becomes flesh. You're all all God, all that. And that, that the Christ is really God. You know, that he delivers the divine love and relationship to us. I'm turning the page and going to point four. The part that is harder for us to imagine is that Christ embodies us, okay? That means a couple of things. That means the person to your right and the person to your left, when you look at them, you look at Christ. You know, you're Christ seeing in them Christ. That's what's going on. We are little Christ to each other, says Luther, okay? So you can't, and I, you know, I've, I've rung this bell a thousand times here, so I'm going to kind of move on after I say it to you again, but... Really, the people in this room and the people in this congregation and the people in the larger church, when you look at them, you see Christ. With Christ's eyes, you see Christ in them because God has made them part of the community through the gifts of Christ, of word and sacrament. So Christ embodies us. I think that we're past that. I mean, I think you've got that. The point now is, knowing that, the question is, how are you going to act? If it is in fact true that Christ embodies us, that I am Christ to you and you are Christ to me, and that is the fundamental relationship between us, if in fact that is true, that has tremendous implications for how we care for each other and talk to each other and talk about each other and how we think about each other and how we think about people inside and think about people outside has tremendous implications it, you know, about how much slack we give each other and how we're willing to overlook when we have bad days and have common sinfulness. And yet, at the same time, what I would never want to do and what you would never want to do would be able to take, take advantage. You never want to be the one who goes and watches TV while everybody else is cleaning up the kitchen because you know that eventually that causes tension. You know, a one-off, okay or sneaking away once in a while and getting, okay. But on a daily basis, that's a, when people don't pull their own weight in families, at work, in churches, when people don't pull their own weight, like eventually that creates angst. And we almost institutionalize it by talking about something like an 80-20 rule. You know, that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. You know, that we can even put a tag on it as to our own shame, okay? So that's not what we want to be. Because Jesus baptized all of you. And Jesus bodied and bled all of you. And you're all part of the community. And the person sitting next to you is part of the community, too. And that when they begin to talk anti-community, you need to stop your ears. And when they begin to do things that are anti-community, you need to walk the other way. And when things are done that are pro-community, that are together, we, then, even though you haven't gotten your way, you need to endure that and engage that, and make the best of that, and learn from that, and, you know, nudge and push and squirm a bit, and try to always make things better? Yes. Yes, but as a we. Okay? So Christ enlivens us. He makes us his community, a divine community marked by divine love. And so it's very interesting that 1 Corinthians 12, the epistle from last week, and what we're going to do, is ahead of 1 Corinthians 13. The great chapter on love that everybody cites follows the great exposition that we are all one body. Isn't is individual love that you sort of whip together and use as necessary or when it's to your advantage? It is instead the divine gift that has been given to the baptized community. And in in 1 Corinthians 13, what Paul does is establish markers for what it looks like and what it doesn't look like. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not arrogant. love Love is never boastful. So the community then says, what we aim at, what we praise, what we hold up is being patient and kind. And what we will not, what we will not accept in our community is being arrogant or rude. We won't accept that, you know. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never ends. So what will we accept? We will accept things that bear everything, believe everything, hope everything, that are always positive, always moving forward, always from Christ, and always toward love for God and service to our neighbor. That's what we'll accept, and we won't accept less. And if you're an I in the middle of the we who's suggesting that we ought to, you're just dead wrong. I mean, you're just, you just can't say, I'm not on board. You just can't say that. This is just impossible. Because there's no you to be on board or not on board. It's just we. Now, you have to hear me carefully, you know. I'm talking about once the group has done its homework, once the group has studied hard, once the group has read their scripture, once they've been faithful at the altar. You know, there's all these presuppositions but, you know, at some point you need to do what you can do. So, Christ moves us then to do what we could not and would not do without him. Okay? And I don't need to go through all of these, but, you know, it moves us to mercy. You know, Jesus is merciful today in Epiphany, and he teaches his disciples. He, he feeds the people, for example, and then he says to them at the five thousand, you feed them. You give them something to eat. Or he preaches them, and then midway through the gospel, um, he sends them out two by two, and he gives them instructions. Don't take anything. You know, don't wear shoes. You know, just a high and a bias sufficient. If they won't accept you, shake the dust off your feet and move on. Then come back, and they come back and say, we saw, we saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Okay? So what Jesus does is groom people like you and like me into doing his work. It's not about he does acts of mercy so we can lie around and watch TV. It's about he does acts of mercy so that we learn to do acts of mercy. He speaks kindly so we learn to speak kindly. He speaks thoroughgoing law when there's sin so we learn to speak thoroughgoing law when there's sin. He says about the supper, do this over and over and over again and so we do. He says about baptism, make disciples doing it this way. There's a little discussion, you know, lately about whether or not Jesus puts ordination into the supper or into, into the church, and I, I'm so. It's one of those things where you get so you're so caught off guard by something that's so obvious you don't quite know how to answer. But when Jesus says it's in the words of institution, do this. He says to the twelve, do this. So they go do this. He says in John twenty on Easter night, go forgive sins. So they go forgive them. He says in Matthew sixteen, if you forgive sins they're forgiven. If you don't forgive sins they're not forgiven. Right? He says, go and make disciples by baptizing and teaching. Go, 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 go. That is the institution of his ministry in the church, and he gives it to the church as a gift. Says, this, is not, this is not optional equipment. This is what we do as the church. So we mimic words of mercy. Now, this is the specific things we've done. I'm at the third point under five. We mimic the words of mercy. Jesus taught us, how to speak to people. Think of it this way. Jesus taught us how to speak to people who are caught in adultery in John 8. That's what he's doing there. In John 4, Jesus is teaching us how to speak to people who don't understand that he's the Messiah, okay? In Matthew 25, Jesus is teaching us how to care for strangers, the xenos. You've done it to me, you've done it to them. One of the least of these, you've done it to me. So Jesus is teaching. This was Pastor Justice was here. He's teaching us about hospitality at his table when he takes us on the road to Emmaus, and he pushes us toward that understanding, right? And then we all come together and we care for others as he has cared for us. That is what he does. We care for others; he cared for us. Little Christ to each other. And then, you know, I have words that are, don't make any sense in the next bit, but I have no idea what that means. This is living, oh, from forgiveness in community and then extending beyond with concrete love that makes time for important things. Now, here's the thing, last before six. This doesn't come naturally. It has to be taught. You, you and I cannot come into a community and sit down and say, "Oh, this is who I am and this is what I want. This is why our church is so unlike other churches. We're not like churches who give a survey to people and ask them what they want and then give them that. Now, there is, like all heresy, you know, there's always a sliver of truth in things. You know, we do have to listen to what people want, and we do have to pay attention to what their needs are. However, to simply say to people, what do you want, and then give that to them, that is not the gospel, and that is not the church, because it doesn't come naturally. You know, Jesus says he's otherworldly. My kingdom is not of this world. And the gifts of my kingdom are not of this world. And the community that is given in this kingdom is not of this world. And when you cease to be an individual, you're no longer of this world. You're back in relationship like it was in Eden with God and with other people. Okay? And then, you know, I must have been cranky when I wrote this, but point six. Anything less that goes by the name Christian is a lie. But you know, I'll probably stand by that. Because this is just what Christians do, no ifs, ands, or buts. There are so many things that pass for Christianity. And we allow this in our own midst. The way we think about each other, the way we speak about each other, you know, the way we care or don't care for each other. We create, in this sense, community. We create the community we want. It's just like a family. You create the family you want. Your family is very different whether or not you have supper together. People study this and spend millions of dollars, and then they say, you know what, if you have supper with your kids four times a week, they're 43% less likely to smoke, drink, and use drugs. You're thinking, hmm, just the simple fact that you know where they are for that 40 minutes <laughs> might have something to do with that, Right? All right, come on, this is, you know, this is just natural, you know, it doesn't come naturally, it comes as a gift, and we can't, you you know, this is just what Christians are, you can't come into a congregation and say, this is who I am, that's why the brainwashing is going on downstairs right now with Pastor Gainig. you know? I mean, part of what we say is, you know, this is who Jesus is, and this is who we are, and we would love to have you if you would like to have this Jesus in this group, okay? Now, Mildly, you know, somewhere out here, um, what you shouldn't, you know, I have this voice saying, "Mm, I wonder if this sounds horribly, horribly um, prideful, you know, all the things I've said. I hope that it doesn't and I don't intend for it to be that way. Um, And the way to escape the pridefulness is for it to be Jesus' words and not my words or your words. See, the thing is, if you say, well, if that's, if you come to it and say, well, you know, that's, uh, well, you think your community is better than everybody else's. That's not the point. You know, because it's not our community being better than everybody else's community. Immediately then you're starting to talk about individuals and individuals. The point is, faithfulness. Is this community faithful to Christ? I mean, spend a little time this morning as you're looking at people and as you hear people talking and as you're talking to people and as you engage your family and you engage your friends and even engage people here that you don't particularly like. And just ask yourself whether those, whatever's happened, and ask yourself, one, if it's fit for Jesus, and ask, two, what kind of community it creates. I mean, churches that are just, just, just horribly broken are still Churches. You know, they're still churches. You really have to go some to destroy a church. You know, churches that don't do anything and, you know, where people are crabby all the time. At some level, they're, they're still churches, and we wouldn't be in a position to probably to say that they're not. But what good is it to observe that unless you're aiming at the bare minimum? That's not what we're aiming at. You know, the clock is ticking on all of you people. You have X number of heartbeats to get done what Jesus Christ wants you to get done as the body of Christ. Okay? You, just, you just have a limited amount of time to get busy, as do I, as do we. So the question is, with our limited number of heartbeats, what's the best that we can do? And part of that is to be intolerant of anything that is anti-Christ and anti-body. This isn't easy for you. It's not easy for me. It is not easy to, you know, subsume your will, you know, two steps down, not only to Christ. You know, all sorts of people can do that. It's very difficult also to subsume your will to the community. Okay? Now, you have a responsibility to push the community into what is true and what is good and what is right and what is faithful. But nevertheless, as part of the community, you don't have a choice to say, I think or I won't or, you know, unless the community has gone horribly astray. I'll just give you that as a thesis to test. I think it's completely important for us. Hmm. I'm out of time. All right, I'll tell you what. um, I think that I got my heart rate up to 121 into my peak zone during that. (laughs) Feeling good about that. So uh, more than thirty minutes. So uh, you might just you might just have a thought about that, and you might see if you could prove me wrong. Um, that would be a helpful thing, because if in fact what I'm saying is true, we just are thinking about everything differently, and everything is going to kick up about three notches. Okay? It just is a, It's just a, It's just a. This is all about what I mean about a capital campaign being a spiritual exercise and not about the money. I could care less about the money. I wish I had $50 million so I didn't have to worry about having $50 million. It's not about the money. It's about the Lord extracting everything he can from you for the good of his kingdom. That's what it's about, and that's all it's about. Okay. And just let me just put this out here early. Success or failure in this is not going to be measured by if we do or don't get the building. I just want to be very clear about that. That's not success or failure. Success or failure is if we are faithful and do our best. If we, together, are faithful and do our best. That is success and failure. Okay? Success is not if we find one big donor to give us $4 million and everybody else takes a powder. That's not success. That's the community relying on an eye not doing its work. No, success is the community together all pulls on the same end of the rope and they see how far they can go. And whatever that is, whenever they're done pulling, wherever they land, what you need to say is, we did our best. So success gets defined in the church's best effort and best gets defined as agape, maturity, and obedience. Okay, That's success in the church. That's the community shaping its own reality. That is the community being faithful. That's the community living under Christ. That's what it is. That's what the church is meant to be. And toward that, you might read, you know, under six, there's just some more ramblings, and then under seven, though, there is a text. And you might go puzzle about what it means to be a member or an individual of a body. Go read what Paul says from Christ about that, that none of you can live without the rest of you. And if everybody doesn't do what they're able to do, then the body's ill. And when everybody does what they're able to do for the good of the one, it's heaven on earth. Okay? That's it. See you next week. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us.